What did remember puberty? Isn't that fun? Wasn't, wasn't that wasn't that a lot of fun? Um, so what if you're going through the wrong? What if you're a transgender young woman, male to female, and and now you're getting you know, your voice is dropping, you're getting bigger, you're getting hair everywhere, and you're growing those tentacles. You know? um, and and what if you're a transgender young man and now you have breast development and periods? It can be terrifying. There's a lot of mental health issues during that time. Um, the previous treatment uh, before these new guidelines came about were, that's when you're 18, have a nice time. Basically, there were no medical, there was no medical treatment for individuals that were under 18. So there are new guidelines. So these are the new guidelines that are very well accepted by, by um, healthcare professionals. Uh, they are international guidelines, and most children's hospitals um, will be doing this. For, for pre-pubertal children, there is no medical treatment. Well, that kind of makes sense. I mean, they're pre-pubertal, so they don't really have clinical levels of sex hormones, so what medical treatment? So the idea would be to see a counselor or a therapist who is supportive, who has knowledge about these issues, to, um, you know, come. you can some see me medically, and depending on their age, come see me in a year or two, but there's no, nothing medical. The first phase, at the young adolescent age, is to give what are called a pubertal block. You give a medicine to block the progression of puberty. You start in low doses, you gradually increase, so that they never go through the wrong puberty. That way, for a transgender woman, male to female, they don't, their voice doesn't drop, they don't have hair, they don't have to have electrolysis. For a transgender man, they don't have breast development that will need surgery, they don't have periods, etc. So you block puberty, and then you can, um, with the appropriate time, send them through the puberty consistent with their gender identity. If they're under 18 and they're not an emancipated minor, meaning if they're under 18 and they are on the street or they're completely emancipated from their parents, then you can do treatment. This little boy was great. He said, puberty was awful. My body changed from what I wanted. I grew hair and tentacles. <laughs> and I went, Johnny, you grew tentacles. You mean testicles? And he went, oh yeah, yeah, testicles. I said, Oh, yeah, yeah, testicles. That is the Deputy Health Secretary nominee of the Biden regime, transgendered individual by the name of Dr. Rachel Levine, speaking in a very little heard clip that I think warrants a lot of further investigation. That clip was brought to my attention by none other than my next guest. That would be John Schweppe, the Director of Policy at the American Principles Project. And just before I bring John into the conversation here, I want to thank all of you for joining us on another episode of the National Pulse podcast. On Tuesday, February the 23rd, the year of our Lord, 2021. A lot to go through today. Let's bring John Schweppe right into the conversation. John, thanks for joining us here this afternoon. Thank you so much, Raheem, for having me on. I appreciate it. Well, John, you are you are doing yeoman's work in going through the the, the detail uh, of the the Biden regime and the people that they are supposing should be in charge of government uh, apparatus. We've heard a lot in the press uh, about Neera Tanden. We've seen a lot of uh, discomfort from Jen Psaki up at the White House podium about the uh, likelihood they say now that Neera Tanden will not be confirmed into her role at OMB. There are others, however, uh, that warrant further investigation especially given the their quite radical um 
ideas for for not just Americans, but specifically for young Americans. So tell us, uh, John Schweppe, how did you come across Dr. Rachel Levine, this clip, and and what is it telling us about about the Biden regime's priorities for American kids? Well, I, you know, we, we, we've been aware of Dr. Levine for quite some time. Uh, as you know, Raheem, uh, Dr. Levine made headlines back last year during the coronavirus pandemic, uh, where Levine did the same thing Como did in New York, um, basically pushed elderly and infirmed people into uh, nursing homes where COVID was, was you know, these, these people who are recovering from COVID, putting them into the nursing homes, basically condemned God knows how many people to death. Um, and then Levine, of course, you know, simultaneously removed uh, their their parents from one of these nursing homes, knowing that it was a dangerous thing. So that was that was kind of Levine's uh, uh, first rise to infamy, I suppose. Mm. Uh, but Levine is, is is a radical person. I mean, Levine has um, uh, advocated for you know uh, uh, tr- sex changes for minors for quite some time. Uh, they are regarded as one of the uh, foremost experts on transgender health in the country. And this nomination for Assistant Secretary of Health, you know, I think a lot of people, it goes under the radar because it's an Assistant Secretary position. You know, maybe that's not as important. Well, actually, this is someone who's going to be driving the policy of the Biden administration. And, you know, this position in particular would oversee a lot of the coronavirus response, uh, as well as some of these social issues. So the life issue, um, and certainly, you know, when it comes to uh, uh, these healthcare decisions for for minors. So it's a very uh, you know we we've researched this person. Um, this video uh, was publicly available, uh, but you know nobody had seemingly seen it. Um, I remember when we when we first saw it uh, maybe a few weeks ago. It only had a few views, um, but you know. I think it got a few more after this video, the forum this morning, John. Oh, I th- I think so. I think so. <laughs> But, you know, in this this video, Levine basically admits, uh, not even, not with shame or anything, uh, what they do and what they believe should be done to children uh, who are suffering from any sort of gender confusion. And it's scary. I mean, we're talking about uh, giving puberty blockers to eight, nine, 10 year olds and cross sex hormones to 14, 15, 16 year olds. Um, you know, these, these have permanent effects on people. Uh, they're they're going to cause these kids to, not be able to reproduce, to be permanently infertile, um, not to mention locking them into these transgender identities, which, you know, come along with any sort of uh, associated uh, psychological issues. So it's, it's, it's very dangerous. It's a direct attack on our children. And uh, I think people have to know about it because this isn't just a, you know, an ordinary, oh, moderate Joe Biden just nominating, you know, normal people. No, this is an extremist. Right. This isn't this isn't somebody who's being nominated by Joe Biden in order to sort of have government health care. Right. Which is which is kind of the talking point of the moderate left. This is really shifting the Overton window. And what really struck me, uh, John, you know, we, we clipped all of those. Oh, and I've got to thank our um, one of our people who works with us a lot. Anne Lutie. We, you know, she clipped that uh, video down to about two and a half minutes. And I played it in the intro. I know it's kind of hard to follow along with if you're not au fait with the subject matter. And most Americans aren't right. Most most people across the Western world are not au fait with the with the terminology, with the lingo uh, of this of this transgender promotion 
uh, you know, industry that's 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 out there. So if you're not familiar with it, what exactly is 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 Dr. Levine talking about there? Uh, when Dr. Levine mentions the prepubertal blockers, uh, is Dr. Levine actually talking about getting to uh, kids before they even enter puberty? Because because and and give us a no, give us a give us a, a a time range on that because that seems like they would be eight. Right. Well, the goal here, you know, back, I would say 10, 20 years ago, you know, most folks who were transsexual is what they, they would call it back then. Mm. You know, they would make these decisions after the age of 18. And uh, maybe biologically or the way they presented, you know, they would look, you know, a, a biological male would look like a male, mm. right? Because they already went through puberty. So the goal here is to catch it, you know, catch the condition uh, before puberty. And so what we're seeing, and we've seen this across the country, you know, you'll see social transitions. When, when, so when you say where, the condition, you mean you mean their gender. Their gen, right? They're, yeah, they they would get very upset at me for saying it that way. Right. Um, but you know, we're talking about uh, so so at very early ages, three, four, five. Uh, you know, these kids are are being taught by their parents or by uh, their doctor or whomever to socially transition to start um, identifying as the opposite sex, and then as soon as um, I believe it's the second phase of puberty. I'm not a doctor. Uh, but as soon as that starts to show at age seven, eight, nine, mm. uh, that's when they, they start prescribing these puberty blockers. And the goal of them is to stop puberty from taking place, to basically uh, tell the kid's body to stop growing. This and is a, obviously the effects of this, go ahead. This is an attack on their, on their development. Absolutely, absolutely. And, um, and, and, you know, getting even into the science of this, it's, it's totally experimental. I mean, this is something we, we don't have the longitudinal studies to know that there will be no harm from this, even though you'll hear them say all the time, oh, puberty blockers, they're reversible, they're reversible. Okay, well, we'll see about that. But then it gets even worse, Ricky, because then we start talking about cross-sex hormones. And cross-sex hormones are basically an attempt to remake the body into the opposite sex. Um, so that will start at ages you know, 14, 15, 16, Although, um, and this was in the piece as well, Dr. Levine um, has said that, you know, sometimes when you can't get to the kids to give them puberty blockers, maybe you have to start on cross-sex hormones earlier than 14. Didn't really elaborate on what that means. Might be a good question for the committee. But um, so, so, you know, and that is where it's actually permanent. So, so theoretically, puberty blockers could be re-reversed. Um, and, you know, maybe you could uh, allow, you know, jumpstart the child's uh, puberty again. Uh, although there's probably a ton of complications with that, but um, but the, once you start doing the cross-sex hormones, then you're going to physically see bodily changes that can't be reversed. You're going to see, um, you know, the the child's ability to reproduce taken away from them as a permanent decision at the age of 14, which seems just frighteningly crazy um, to, to do that to someone. We're talking with John Schweppes, the director of policy at the American Principles Project. John, um, a lot of people will say, well, this is a, a decision that clearly Dr. Levine is saying that the, the parents are making and, and, and uh, acknowledging in those clips that we've played that this can only really happen with a with an individual's own consent after the age of 18 it did stand out to me however that that uh, there was a caveat in there 
uh, about if the parents aren't present, you can actually start experimenting with people younger than 18. I don't know if you call that in the speech, John, but but, but broadly speaking, uh, the pushback, especially from uh, social liberals and libertarians, will be, why do you have a problem with people doing with their bodies as they so choose if they're they're over 18 or, or, or with what their parents choose if they're under? Well, I think, you know, just broadly speaking, I think that a lot of folks on my side would take issue with that characterization at all. I mean, it's a form of child abuse. So, you know, whether whether or not it's allowed to, I mean, we don't allow parents to sexually abuse their children. This shouldn't be allowed either. But I do just want to kind of press that point a little bit. Um, you know, I think this kind of goes beyond that. I mean, we're seeing, look, this is a government position. So it's about imposing policy on the United States. And we've seen these... Uh, innocent-sounding conversion therapy bans uh, passed in a number of states. And, you know, when people think about conversion therapy, they think about, uh, you know, the electroshock, right? Like, oh, we don't want to see uh, gay kids electroshocked uh, into being straight. And that's, that's kind of the, you know, perspective that people have about it. But these bills are actually very widely encompassing, um, and they include gender identity as well. So one of the effects of these bills being passed in the states is that, psychologists are only allowed to do affirmative care. And what they mean by that is supporting a child's transition. Mm. So no longer would a psychologist, and this is, again, this is passed in, in I think it's like 20 states, maybe 15. Um, a, a psychologist would not be allowed to help a child identify with their birth sex or else they could potentially lose their license. So when you combine these things and, you know, the cropping up of these gender identity clinics across the country, it's been, you know, there's a kind of collusion there with the pharmaceutical industry. Uh, this has been growing over the past few years. You see that there's something here. Like, it's not just a individual choice that some parents are making. Um, it's clearly a widespread epidemic. And, you know, give, getting someone like uh, Rachel Levine to be uh, this kind of powerful figure at HHS, obviously, is going to give the force of government. Um, to that John a lot of the audience will wonder uh, firstly when is when is the hearing it is on Thursday it is on Thursday February the 25th right so a lot of people will wonder well what can be done in in that time frame what, what are you doing and more importantly what can they do John well I'll tell you we've been uh, working our butts off uh, we started uh, we finished up our research last week and we've been um, calling offices, uh, setting up meetings with senators, that sort of thing. Um, I'm actually encouraged by by some of the response we've been getting. I, I do think that on Thursday, uh, we're going to see several senators ask questions, tough questions to Dr. Levine. But at this point, really what folks need to do is they need to call their representative, call their senators, and get them to commit to uh, public comment on this. I think that's where we are because, you know, this has kind of been in the realm of conspiracy theory. Um, or at least if you would ask, you know, bring this up in polite, in a polite setting, like people just don't, don't really believe it's sp- happening. I don't, I don't well, spend much time in polite settings, John. <laughs> well, that's good. That's good. <laughs> but, um, but you know, well, I, I think Morton's, I have to say Morton's is a pretty polite setting. But, Not when um, I'm there, but go but on. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but no, so I think, you know, but we're starting to see like, oh, wait, no, like this isn't just some extreme thing that, you know, you're reading online, like, this is going to be the Assistant Secretary of Health at HHS, and this person believes all of this. So I think it's important now for your Milk Coast Republican representatives and senators to start speaking out on this the way they have begun to on, like, women's sports. 
um, it shouldn't be that hard to talk about this and say, you know what, I have some questions. I don't know what I think about the idea that an eight-year-old should be subjected to these kinds of experimental treatments. Like, that sounds a little crazy to me. And, uh, you know, it's a social issue, so I know a lot of Republicans think that's icky, but, you know, this is kind of a a scary thing. And if you think it's not going to happen to you because you can just say, oh, well, I'm fine. My parents, you know, my kids aren't like that. Uh, everything's going to be okay. You don't know your, your schools. Uh, the nurses there, the teachers there, they all subscribe to the same ideology that Levine does. And so it's going to come to your house. And, and I hate I, not to be a fear monger, but like this is a pivotal moment and we have to fight against it. And we have to scream bloody murder to our elected officials, whether they're Republicans or Democrats, to let them know that we will not stand up, stand for this. John, in the and I know, I know we've got limited time with you, so I'll I'll, I'll start to wrap here. Um, but when I speak with the types who hang out at the Capitol Hill Club, I suppose what you would call polite company, right? The the response I often get is is a kind of rolling of the eyes and a uh, a fobbing off, right? It, it's not that bad, or it's not really happening. You must stop reading, you know, Gateway Pundit or the National Pulse. You know, come back to reading six hundred word think pieces in the National review about why Republicans are so awful and how we can do more to embrace just how awful we are, John. I mean, I am I am embellishing, but I'm also telling you that I'm robustly rejected. The premise that this is even going on is robustly rejected, even by the kind of uh, Republicans that some would think and some still think do represent them here in Washington, D.C. So so how do you, if, 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 if somebody were to call, and the reason I'm asking this, because our audience likes practical things that they can do. So if somebody were to call, let's say, after they've listened, listened to this podcast, uh, their Senate office, and somebody picks up the phone and says to them, oh, thank you for telling us about this mad thing that John Schweppe's banging on about on the National Pulse. I'm afraid it's not happening. And they start to hang up the phone. What should the audience say back? Well, I think they have to insist that it is real, and they should absolutely uh, send these folks the link at the National Pulse. I'll tell you, right before I came on the show, I actually emailed my Hill list um, of House and Senate offices and let them know about this. Um, but, I, you know, I think that that's, that's one thing. But the other thing is, look, these folks, they are, like, willfully uh, wanting to be blind to this stuff because they're invested in that, right? Especially the folks who refused to vote for President Trump in 2020, and as you said, wrote these, uh, you know, 600 word articles in the mm. National Review. I mean, these, these folks really are depending on that being true. They want the Democrats to just be uh, political opponents and not, you know, civilizational enemies. Well, I got news for you. Wow. Okay, this isn't your mom and dad's Democratic Party, your grandma and grandpa's Democratic Party. Like, these are progressive totalitarians, and they are absolutely coming for your kids. I know that sounds crazy. It's just true. And so it's just really important that you just, if they hang up on you, call them up again. Mm. And if it was your grandmother or your grandfather's Democratic Party, they'd be wearing white hoods, John. Um, look, I, I'm really <laughs> grateful for your really. I mean, they wear they wear white hoods, but in other ways now, right? I, I listen, John. I'm really thankful for your time today. Actually, I'm really grateful for you writing uh, the article for us. I think it's it's a mass, just a massive, massive testament to how important this issue is. That the article was immediately picked up, and I'll say linked back 
back to by the Daily Wire and Newsmax, link back to the National Pulse on, on John Schweppe's article that's been doing just amazing traffic all day on the site because people genuinely are concerned about this. John, what I really like about what you did here is you linked back to the source. We're showing the video so that everyone can see. You link back to the full lecture so that everybody can read it for themselves. I have a, I have a saying here on this show, don't trust us. Go and look at the information for yourselves. And John, that's that's what you've done. You've put the information into people's hands. Whether they act on it or not, ladies and gentlemen, if you are listening to this now, that is on you. John, tell the audience where they can follow you. Uh, well, you can follow our, our website for our organization is AmericanPrinciplesProject.org. You can follow me on Twitter until I get banned, uh, at John, <laughs> J-O-N, Schweppe. And uh, Raheem, I just got to say, though, you know, bringing this up, I'm grateful to you for running this at the National Pulse, because I'll tell you, a lot of these conservative outlets, I mean, I think they're largely good people, but they see something like this and they're like, ew, I don't know if I want to touch that. And, you know, this was, this was pretty brave of you to, to run this as well. So uh, thank you for standing up for this and, and getting the word out to people. What did Andrew Breitbart say? Walk toward the fire. John Schweppe, American Principles Project. Once again, thank you so much for joining us here on the National Pulse podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, John is an absolute fighter, and he is the type of people that we need more of here in Washington, D.C. People who put the ideas of the Constitution first. People who put the ideas of the American family first. Those are the things that will see us through not national review i'm sorry i'm gonna i am this week this coming week is going to be bash national review week here on this podcast and i know some of you out there still read it i know some of you out there still subscribe to it and my question to you is why why on earth uh would you do that i want to uh in the next segment bring you some other news that you may not be hearing in your establishment news outlets but first it's been a while since i've actually dived in dived dove in dived in i'm gonna say dived in to our membership list you know we have a means by which to support our website and our work and the excellent writings of external writers like john schweppe and thomas farnan and mike mccormick and steve cortez and frank gaffney and all these people that are now flooding in as as a community to the national pulse bringing us news stories bringing us scoops bringing us the greatest analysis that there is on the conservative end of the spectrum and so i want to thank all of you out there who have been subscribing because that is literally it for us that's the only way we bring any revenue into this organization it's the only way natalie winters gets to eat lunch <laughs> is if you guys out there subscribe it's the nationalpulse.com forward slash support I'm trying out a little bit of a, a musical break there between segments in order to, uh, I suppose this is a pun considering the last segment, but transition into the next. 
And the next is the thank you to the new members. I only read the first names because I don't want anybody being doxxed or uh, sought out and prosecuted and persecuted for your political perspective. So I'm just going to read a couple of the names out of the people who have joined us in the last couple of days. That doesn't mean to say that I don't value you if you were 10 days ago, but I'm not going to sit here and read through 500 names on the podcast. So I want to thank Alberta and Carol and Ava and Cheryl, lots of ladies, and Gary, not a lady, Although I shouldn't, I shouldn't, I probably shouldn't presume nowadays, right? Uh, Mary, Michael, Mary again, Richard, uh, Wilson, Michelle, Anna, Daniel, Hope, Matthew, Timothy, Denise, Carla, Kim, Paul, Linda, Mary, Susan, Charles, Denise again, lots of Denises out there, Timothy, Sarah, John, Karen, Maria, Jonathan, another Mary, lots of Marys, Tracy, Pamela, Devorah, Devorah, uh, Adrian, Kara, Erin, Susan, Kristen, David, and the list goes on and on and on. A great big thank you to all of you out there for supporting our work. Do I do the transition again here? I'll do it again. One of the reasons I do that, I know that's probably not the right way to do it. I'm gonna I'm gonna work that out. I probably need to talk over it as it's coming in and transition out of it and all of these crazy cool radio things that I'm just learning right now. And you're learning with me, which is the fun thing. You you guys out there, by the way, you guys and gals have been listening to podcasts and talk radio and all of that far longer than I have, probably. I did not grow up on that. Talk radio just was not a big thing for me uh, growing up. So I'm kind of learning on the job, and I have been really for the last sort of four or five years that I've been involved in in production like this. You know, I was previously just a, a writer, uh, if you can believe it. I say that because most of you can probably tell I just love the sound of my own voice, but I was always a, a writer. I'd always type things out or write things down, and and the broadcast was uh, was pretty new for me. Um, so thank you for your patience as I as I learn to bring you better quality content. Speaking of somebody who needs to learn to bring you better quality content, should we have a little listen to what Jen Psaki and indeed her State Department counterpart? in the Biden regime, Ned Price, have been doing in the last 24 hours. What's that you say? We should do that? Well, I'm so glad you agree. Uh, Because actually, I I think it's extraordinarily embarrassing uh, what the the political left have been up to. And it's not really focused in on very much by the establishment media. I want to go ahead and play this clip. I want to see if I do Ned Price first or Jen Psaki. Let's do Ned Price first because this is from yesterday. We'll keep it in uh, in, in, in in chronological order here. Let's roll Ned Price. He's the State Department spokesman. That was Jen Psaki's old job, by the way, in the Obama administration. So it goes to show they haven't really found any greater quality and he's going up against the associated press's matt lee one of the few remaining real journalists here in washington dc enjoy and i think that demonstrates uh, that our strategy including the legislative strategy the strategy that of course congress um is um uh has been behind um has been working to good effect 
So we'll continue to work closely with Germany. We'll continue to work closely uh, with our other allies and partners uh, in Europe to uphold Europe's own stated uh, energy security goals. So is the, it's a bit disingenuous to claim credit for the 18 companies winding down. All of this work was done under the previous administration. Matt, you I'm guys not, have only been in month for, Matt, I mean, only been in office for a month, I, right? Are you telling me that in the last Matt, four weeks, these 18 companies all of a sudden decided to say, oh my God, we better not do Matt, anything with I am, I am speaking for the United States. You guys are taking credit for stuff that the Matt, previous administration Matt, did. Right? I, I, I am not. No? I am yes speaking no? for the Department of State. Okay. The all people right. who have been working this. Okay. So that is Matt Lee pushing back very, very firmly on the idea that the, it's the Biden regime that's come up with all of these different policies, these foreign policies uh, that have effectively helped to put Russia back in a corner, uh, or at least uh, help to kind of restrict Russia's um, access and, and influence in the region. And yet, yet, the Biden regime has the temerity to go up there and claim that these are their policies, where in fact, as Matt Lee uh, hits at Ned Price over and over again there, they were in fact Trump-era policies. Ned Price is not the only one having a mayor... Well, as we say in England, having a nightmare up at the podium. Jen Psaki has not been faring well again. But of course, before we bring Jen Psaki the clip in, let's bring Jen Psaki the jingle in. I can, I'll circle back if there's more I can share with you. I'll circle back with you if there's more to convey. Um, I'll have to just circle back with you. We can circle back. I'm, I'm happy to circle back with you. I can circle back. Uh, I'll have to boom, boom. circle back. <laughs> right, okay. Jen Psaki, this is a long clip. Stick with it. It's her with Fox News' Peter Ducey over the immigration stuff. And you'll remember... It was the National Pulse. It was three weeks ago where we pointed out the same thing. So as much as I love Peter Ducey, you're 20 days late. Thank you, Jen. A few uh, on immigration really quick. Merrick Garland was asked yesterday if illegal entry at the border should remain a crime. And he said, I haven't thought about that question. Does President Biden believe that illegal entry at the border should remain a crime moving forward? Well, like, I think he was at, being asked as uh, the attorney general, the future attorney general. I think he's looking to head to be confirmed uh, of the United States. And if he wants to make considerations independently, he can certainly do that. Uh, but the president's spoken to this, and we believe in abiding by our laws. As you know, there, of course, is a process underway at the Department of Homeland Security to uh, re, uh, to take a fresh look at prioritization uh, and who uh, is detained and who is sent back home. Uh, so that is something happening from the Department of Homeland Security. But uh, again, if he's going to lead an independent Justice Department, and it's his prerogative to take a look at, uh, you know, any policies under their purview. And to that point, why is the Biden administration reopening a temporary facility for migrant children in Texas? Well, um, first, uh, the policy of this administration, as you well know, but just for others, is not to expel unaccompanied children who arrive at the border. Uh, and the process, how it works, is that uh, Customs and Border Control uh, con uh, 
continue to transfer unaccompanied children to the HHS Office of Refugee Resettlement. That can take a couple of days. I just want to give this context so people need to understand the process. But because of COVID-19 protocols, uh, the like social distancing requirements, the capacity of existing Office of Refugee Resettlement shelters has been significantly reduced because, of course, you can't have a child in every bed. Um, there needs to be spacing, and we abide by those spacing to protect the kids um, who are um, living in those facilities for a short period of time. And to ensure the health and safety of these kids, HHS took steps to open an emergency facility to add capacity where these children can be provided the care they need while they are safely before they are safely placed with families and sponsors. So it's a temporary reopening during COVID-19. Our intention is very much to close it, but we want to ensure that we can follow COVID, COVID protocols uh, as, we, uh, as, we, as unaccompanied minors come into the United States. But it's the same facility that was open for a month in the Trump administration, summer 2019. That is when Joe Biden said, under Trump, there have been horrifying scenes at the border of kids being kept in cages. And Kamala Harris said, uh, basically, babies in cages is a human rights abuse being committed by the United States government. So how is this any different than that? We very much feel that way. Uh, and well, the, these are facilities. Let me, be, let me be clear here. One, there's a pandemic going on. I'm sure you're not suggesting that we have children right next to each other uh, in ways that are not COVID safe, are you? I'm suggesting that Kamala Harris said that this facility, putting people in this facility, was a human rights abuse committed by the United States government. And Joe Biden said, under Trump, there have been horrifying scenes of border uh, at the border of kids being kept in cages. Now, it's not under Trump, it's under Biden. This is not kids being kept in cages. This is, this is kids, this is a facility that was opened that's going to follow the same standards as other HHS facilities. It is not a replication, certainly not. The, that's, that is never our intention of replicating the immigration policies of the past administration. But we are in a circumstance where we are not going to expel unaccompanied minors at the border. That would be inhumane. That is not what we are going to do here as an administration. We need to find places that are safe under COVID protocols for kids to be, where they can have access to education, health and mental services, consistent with their best interests. Our goal is for them to then uh, be transferred to families or sponsors. So this is our effort to ensure that kids are treated are not clo in close proximity and that we are abiding by the health and safety standards that uh, the government has been set up. What do we just hear there, ladies and gentlemen? Sorry about the fact that that was four minutes long, but I, I thought it's best to play you the whole thing and allow you to make your own decisions over what we heard there. She's effectively, Jen Psaki is effectively saying, and, and I, I think Peter Ducey, is not, his job is not to debate her, right? But she threw the question back at him, are you suggesting we should put children side by side with one another during... The, the pandemic and and I would have replied well are you suggesting that human rights violations are okay during a pandemic or that human rights considerations are no longer made during a pandemic hey I'm just using their words I'm using Kamala Harris's words she called that facility and facilities like it a human rights violation and Jen Psaki is now saying oh but we have a pandemic Oh, a pandemic. Got it. We're at the tail end of a pandemic. And so it's all right to reopen these facilities. And by the way, let's be very clear about something here. Who built the cages? 
it was not Donald Trump and it was not Donald Trump's immigration authorities that built those cages. Those facilities have been around for a, a long, long time. Several, several presidents back, we're talking there were these kinds of facilities under Bush. There were certainly, certainly more of them built under the Obama administration. And what did Donald Trump do? Well, he used them because he used the same policies that the that the previous administration had used to tackle border crossings, mass border crossings that were being encouraged. Remember, the caravans. I did a long piece of investigative journalism, I think for the Daily Caller on this, a couple of years ago. The caravans being encouraged by the same NGOs, the same big hedge fund uh, funders of this all the time. It's the same people. It's the same money. It's the same idea, right? Cheap migrant labor, cheap migrant labor. Force people up, put them to work. Oh, and then blame Donald Trump uh, afterwards. And still blaming Donald Trump today, by the way. Still, I mean, they reopened. Jen Psaki reopens the facility. I mean, she probably didn't do it herself. But the Biden regime reopens the facility, and what's the thing that comes out of her mouth? Oh, well, the previous administration's policies are disgusting. Absolutely disgusting. <laughs> you can't make this up. But it's amazing that they're getting away with so much of this. One, because, of course, you have effectless media. But two... Because people are kind of tuned out now. The left is definitely tuned out now. They think it's all it's all cushy. It's all tickety boo. Everything's fine. Got a totally normal president, right? Falling asleep at three o'clock in the afternoon, straight after his uh, presidential daily briefing. Oh no, wait, he wasn't even in the Oval Office supposedly during the presidential daily briefing yesterday. So where was he and who was getting the briefing? And why was there no Marine outside the door in the Oval Office yesterday? All this weirdness that's going on right now. But the left is totally checked out of this. There are still some paying attention. Sure, you see that Twitter account that I love so much. Biden voters posting their L's. Just take screen grabs of people admitting that they regret or that they're shocked at how bad this regime is, that's fun. But by and large, most people aren't even watching these streams right now. They're not watching Jen Psaki make a public tit out of herself because that's what's happening in Ned Price too. I mean, what a tit. What an absolute buffoon. Did you see the, the juxtaposition of those two clips kind of tells you everything you need to know about these people. And Jen, it doesn't escape my attention that while Ned Price is trying to take credit for previous things in the previous administration, you are trying to do something the previous administration did and the one before that did and claim that they're nothing to do with you. Jen, it's not working. It's time to go. It's time to put somebody competent up there who can actually handle these questions, knows what they're talking about. I realize we're approaching uh, approaching time here, but there are still a couple of things that I want to talk to you about. So I uh, hope you don't mind if we go a little long today. Specifically, speci- oh, should I do the thing? Should I do the thing again? Okay, let me do the thing again because we're, tra- we're, we're transitioning. Topics are changing. Topics are changing, so the music goes. And in the next segment... I want to talk to you about what we learned on Capitol Hill today. 
When you have the hearings about the Capitol riot from January the 6th, then what was one of the first words that came up today? It's really interesting. One of the first words that Stephen Sun, the former, the outgoing, the gone chief of Capitol Police, said today was we had intelligence about, yes, all the right-wing militias and the Proud Boys, but he said, he said the A-word. He said, and Antifa. Antifa. But I thought Antifa was an idea. I didn't know an idea could riot. I didn't know an idea could march on up to the Capitol. I didn't know that an idea could perhaps put on a Trump hat and pretend to be a Trump supporter. But what did what else did we hear today? What else did we learn? Not a whole lot, I'm I'm I regret to inform you, but there are a couple of things that that stuck out to me as kind of little things that we're going to see over the next couple of weeks. They're going to chip, chip, chip away at some of these narratives and some of the things that they use themselves to impeach the second time, impeach the president of the United States, Donald J. Trump. So what did we hear? Well, we hear we heard that there's this discrepancy in the timeline of events as the, as they have been told and as they have been repeated by almost every single outlet and indeed the House impeachment managers. Everyone relied on this timeline of events about Steve Sun, the Capitol Police chief, calling up the sergeant at arms and saying, "Hey, I need backup. I need backup right now." It's one o nine p.m. or something like that in the afternoon. Well, the sergeant at arms, I think, today said mm, that didn't happen. I have no record of that phone call. And the first I heard of it was at about 1.30 in the afternoon. And maybe you think we're splitting hairs. But in a situation like that, every single second, let alone every minute or 10 minutes or 20 or 30, counts. So now we hear this revision taking place in front of our very eyes. And it didn't escape me, by the way, that Amy Klobuchar at the end of everything said, well, you know, there are some things we've heard today that are disputed, but we shouldn't really allow those things to metastasize into larger conversations. We really need to stick on the grounds of what we agree on, not on what we disagree on. Hold on a minute. No, 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 no. I think we need to hear more about how the official timeline of events, as told to us by the establishment news, by the House impeachment managers actually wasn't the way things went down weren't the way things went down wasn't the timeline weren't yeah the timeline wasn't wasn't accurate it wasn't the way it went down Uh, you can probably tell i'm a little all over the place today we have so many news items up at the site today it's becoming very, very difficult for me to get everything up all day long, all this news that we're, we're pumping out all, all over the site. And I, I've got to tell you, I am exhausted by 5 p.m. every day at the moment. But that was something that I thought was rather interesting, that the narrative is now changing, that the official version of events is now changing. And I think in a lot of ways, what we saw and heard today, and it's about four hours, I think, in total. So if you can listen to it on double speed, you can get it done in two hours. And and maybe you're a better sleuth than I am. So maybe you should go away and do that. Listen to the hearings from today if you haven't already. And if you have, pardon me for uh, for patronizing you. But it's interesting because I think what it was was a test. You know, because Pelosi wants to put together this commission to look into all the gory details of what happened that day. But I think in reality what Pelosi wants to do 
is uh, figure out whether or not it's going to go her way first before actually announcing the commission and how it's going to work and when it's going to report and all of that. I mean, it's it's a government commission. It probably won't report for two or three years. But I think she wants to figure out, hey, how bad is this for, you know, probably herself, right? Nancy Pelosi. Because who, what's the chain of command there? She's the one that dismissed the people in the immediate aftermath of this thing, her and Mitch McConnell. So does the buck stop with her? And if it does, then why were the failures so, I mean, glaringly obvious from the video footage that we saw from the day? What did she know about the intelligence that Steve Sun got up there and he said, hey, we had intelligence in advance that this was going to happen or something was going to happen? Maybe not quite that, but something was up. Something was amiss. The Proud Boys and the Antifa and all of those guys were descending on the same day in the same place. Bad stuff's going to happen. And of course, we know from the official testimony of events that Muriel Bowser, the mayor of Washington, D.C., she didn't want those extra 10,000 troops. She outwardly rejected it, the National Guard. She tweeted about it. Go and look it up. And then, of course, we know on top of that that President Trump the night before had said to the authorities, you are going to need 10,000 troops, do whatever you need to do, and they didn't. Vanity Fair immediately, I think it was the week after January the 6th, this nugget comes out. Nobody covers it, of course. We did. But you can look it up. That's what Trump said. Finally, I want to leave you with this thought. And believe me, there is so much on the National Pulse website today. We've got a huge exclusive up right now about another Biden appointee and her emails. We went back through the WikiLeaks trove. And we found her emails with people who were going to Chinese Communist Party events with her. She said it was fine, quote, fine, that CCP propaganda organizations were targeting Americans. She also pre-briefed questions ahead of a major summit to the Chinese Premier's team. So that is one of the big stories we have up on the site. Another one is one of the executive orders. We went and drilled down into some of these executive orders that, you know, Biden's just been churning through. And we found that there is a, you know, on nine-tenths the way through this document, there is a thing that says we intend to review having the oath of allegiance for new migrants. Look, all of these... All of these stories are up. They're there for you to to consume, to understand, to share with your colleagues, friends, family members, other citizens, your neighbours. And everything is hyperlinked and sourced and all of that. Please, please, don't just turn this thing off and get on with your day. Go to thenationalpulse.com. You know, on the homepage, you've got the big five stories at the top. Then immediately afterwards, you have the what we call the breaking section. These are shorter stories, all links back to the original source material. They're things that we call buried leads, where the media will cover something up but still report it. 
right at the bottom of their article. We pull it out and show you why that is the operative part of the article. Well, the breaking stories can sometimes be, uh, you know, reports on house bills that, 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 that CNN doesn't want you to know about, right? The real radicalism that's taking place right now here on Capitol Hill. So please scroll down on the homepage, see that breaking section. It's always six big stories in there as well. But what I want to leave you with here is this thought, this thought that's just been bouncing around in my mind for the last couple of days, and I can't get rid of it. We are told consistently that there is a uh, just an amazing cadre of people out there who are on the front lines of supporting and defending the United States of America. These people, they risk their lives, they or go having families, they, they work in hostile environments and are subjected to no end of abuse. These people, we're told, are journalists. We're told that these people, these fact-checkers, these disinformation, anti-disinformation stalwarts, are the only thing that stands between America and dominance by white supremacists and QAnon shamans. Let me ask you this question. For this disinformation industry that's out there now, these fact-checkers, and we've talked about them on previous episodes before, but these fact-checkers, these Oliver Darcy's and the Brian Stelters and the Brandy Zadrozny's and the Ben Collins and all of these people out there, I mean, these huge centres, these Harvard centres that are funded... And of course, you've got a new one. You've got some hearings taking place later on this week about disinformation. Can you believe it? They've even got a an Al Jazeera former contractor, Soledad O'Brien, testifying there as if Al Jazeera, an arm of the propaganda arm of the Qatari government, should be listened to in terms of disinformation. But they all claim that they are ever vigilant and they are telling us what the threats are and what's going to emerge and, and you know, QAnon, how dangerous and um, the the proud boys and all of that, right? We're constantly being told this stuff. For that premise to be true, for that premise to be true, they should have either been able to foresee, remember they tell us they're in all the live chats and in all the uh, forums and all the parlors and they're going through it and they're watching right ever vigilant top of the line journalists anti-disinformation people tackling white supremacy in real time so where were you on january the 5th or january the 4th or january the 3rd if this was pre-planned as we basically now know it was it wasn't remember who was the first guy that told you I take great pride in this, and pride is bad. So, uh, I will. I will just say I am. I am grateful that I managed to figure this out. Grateful for the powers beyond me that allowed me to figure this out first. Who told you first? The timeline didn't work for President Trump to have radicalized people at the ellipse, and then for them to riot at the Capitol. We did that story first at the National Post. We were the first ones to say it. As far as I know, I'm not trying to steal anyone's scoops here. But now, then we show that that didn't work, and so everyone now had to go to, yeah, it was pre-planned, you know, the pipe bombs were pre-planned, and the organization was pre-planned, and all of that. Yeah, duh, we told you that already. 
Thanks for catching up with us, you brilliant, brilliant people in the United States Congress. That's what we heard today. Yeah, we finally figured out it was pre-planned. Really? You could have called me like two weeks ago. I told you the same thing three weeks ago. Longer, in fact. It's like four days after the event. Time flies. It's like six weeks ago. But where were these great disinformation? Where was Brandy Zadrozny? Where was Oliver Darcy? Why weren't they telling us about the Oath Keepers? Why weren't they telling us about the Three Percenters? Why weren't they telling us about, uh, you know, Jaden X? I thought they were... I, guys, I thought you were all over this. I thought you had this figured out. You told us that you were the guardians of truth and freedom and, and you were vigilant against these extremist threats. And the day after, we're suddenly told, oh, actually, yeah, there were all these other groups and all these other groups are really pro-Trump groups and all of these other groups are, like, really right-wing. They're the real right-wing people. Or how about this? The whole thing's a fraud. Your 18 intelligence agencies didn't catch the things that needed to be caught. Too busy, too busy with Marussia inventing scandals about a former president, trying to malign the character of tens of millions of people across the country, including the former commander-in-chief, Donald J. Trump. Nope, the intelligence failed. The Capitol Police failed. The Congress itself failed. The reporters failed. The fact-checkers failed. The disinformation people failed. So you want to talk about accountability. You want to talk about actually who we need to be pointing fingers at here in terms of how did we get to this position when you take so many billions with a B dollars from the ordinary American's pocket and you shove it in yours and you claim to be doing a national service and you didn't do your job. You didn't do the job that you appointed yourself for. We didn't appoint you to do that. No, we don't trust in Oliver Darcy or Brian Stelter or any of these morons. But you tell us that. Reliable sources. With Potato Man. Brian Stelter. Are we going to get an admission from these people? that they aren't who they've said they are all along, that they can't do that job, that they are feckless, partisan, morons, thieves, bastards, quite frankly, the lot of them. I don't think we will hear that, will we? That's all we've got time for today. On that note, I shall have to love you and leave you. But don't worry. I will be back tomorrow with another episode of the national pulse podcast you can see now why i'm exhausting myself can't you all of the thoughts i have all of the thoughts we do all of the reporting over at the nationalpulse.com forward slash support please get involved you can, you can ch- literally choose to give us just five dollars a month consider it that you are buying me a beer okay because believe me i need it I think I may go have one right now. Courtesy of one of the Marys or one of the... um, What was the other names that kept kept coming up? Denise. 
I love the name Denise. All right. I'll see you tomorrow. Have a good one.